0: watching on television, online, at one of our campuses, or of course, these incredible people right here at Cooper City. We are starting a two-week series. We're going to do the best we can to answer your questions. You sent them in, we tried to group them together, and uh, we're going to answer them. This week, we're going to answer four of them, and then at the end of the service, I'll tell you some of the questions that we're going to be answering next week. We wanted to start this week kind of with the questions that you had, I'm probably because last week was Easter, all right? Now, before I get to the questions, I really need you, if you haven't already, to, to answer my questions, okay? So if you'll go to that app, and if you already have it, fine. If you don't, download it, iOS, Android, because I got four questions there, and I want to know what you think. I, I want to see what you really think. Not, It's anonymous, so we're not going to know which way you're voting. All you have to do is push a button, all right? And it will, you know, calculate where you're at. So if you haven't done that, at the end of this uh, question, we'll go and we'll see kind of what everybody thinks. Did he really race from the, from the dead? Did he who was dead become alive? All right, what do you think? So go to the app and... Uh, just uh answer those four questions and we'll see what happens but here's the question hey guys this is miguel guzman i'm from the hollandale beach campus and i was just curious um did Jesus' resurrection really happen and if so how can we truly know how can you truly know here's what we're going to do with all these questions is we are going to first of all look at the scripture all right what does the bible say if the bible does not speak directly to it okay if it doesn't say this is a or this is b the next thing we're going to do is ask is the does the bible have a principle that this question would fit into if there's no direct response if there's no biblical principle then you get my opinion and i know you're excited about that Okay, but we're gonna start with the scripture. So, did the resurrection really happen? Now, I'm going to give you in all these questions kind of a telescope view. There are microscopic views on all of them. I'm gonna try to give you resources that can help you, okay? And when it comes to this question, again, on the app, I have. Put resources, first of all, from Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a newspaper reporter for the Chicago Tribune. He decided he would write a book. He was an atheist. He decided he would write a book um, disproving that Christ, you know, existed or that he was God or that he died or that he resurrected, all those kind of things. So he began to investigate. In his investigation, something happened in his heart and this atheist became a Christ follower. And so he began to prove the opposite of what he thought he would prove. He's written several books. They're all very easy to read. They're quick reads. And I put all their links uh, on, uh, on our app. And you can download them, go to Amazon, whatever. We may have some of them. I keep meaning to ask. I don't know. And the other one is Josh McDowell, a more maybe even intellectual approach. He's an older fella. He's written on the subject for a very long time. It's important for this reason. The resurrection is the big-screen television of our faith. In other words, all the other furniture of our faith faces the resurrection on whether it happened or whether it didn't. And you cannot be a Christ follower without believing in the miraculous. Sometimes people are like, well, you know, Jesus is a good guy. I learned some things at church. It makes me feel better. Well, let's look at what Paul said, okay? Let's just look at what he said about whether it happened or not. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is what? Yeah, it's useless. And your faith is what? Yeah, useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. My preaching is useless, your faith is useless, and, well, we've been lying. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. That's a big one. Because what does the Bible say is the penalty for sin? Yeah, death. Eternal and physical death. In that case, all who have died believing in Jesus are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. So what's Paul say? He says, it's a big deal. It's a big deal whether or not you believe that Jesus actually rose from the grave. There is a tendency to not do the work of investigation and just kind of think, well, you know what? It'll all work out in the end. God's a good person, and I'm going to go to church, and I'm better than that person, and and it'll okay. You know, They talked to C.S. Lewis about this, and he said something very famous maybe you've heard. He said that when it comes to whether or not Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did as far as the resurrection goes, he says you have three choices. He says he could be a liar. In other words, he said he was God, and he knew he wasn't. He said he rose from the dead, and he knew that he never died. He said that he healed people, and he didn't. He said that he brought dead people back to life, and he didn't. So he's a liar. But if he's a liar, he's not really a good person, is he? I mean, if he's a liar, he's not someone that you could get wisdom or knowledge or insight from. So C.S. Lewis says he's either a liar or he's a lunatic, he said. In other words, he knew that he didn't, uh, or excuse me, he believed that he did. In other words, he believed that he rose you know, from the grave, he believed that he healed the sick, he believed that he was God. But if he wasn't, then, well, that's crazy, right? Somebody comes to you and says, I'm God. You know, I healed a dead person over at the graveyard the other day, right? You're like, whoa, Baker Act, you know. Uh, It's crazy talk, right? So that's what C.S. Lewis was saying. He's saying, but that's not, again, that's not a good person. That's not somebody you're going to gather the kids together and say, okay, let's see what he has to say, right? He said, so Christ is either a liar, he knew he was lying, or he's a lunatic because he's crazy because he thought, or he's exactly who he said he was, He's, he's Lord. He said, but he can't just be a good person. That's impossible. And I think that's what Paul says. Paul is forcing us. And, and sometimes we push back because, as I said last week, belief is never easy, is it? Right? It, it always takes faith. Even the boys themselves said, well, ah, it seems like nonsense. But remember, if you read Luke 24, the boys said, ah, oh, it's nonsense. Dead people don't live. But what did Peter do? He got up and he went to the tomb. He investigated. And for those of you that are here who so easily dismiss all the miraculous found in the Scripture, here's what I would challenge you with to investigate. And the reason I would is because you got a lot riding on this. You will, listen, you will die. Right? Every one of us are going to die. Now, you don't really realize that to a certain age. I mean, I don't know. For me, it was about 45 when I hit 40, now when I was 35 I knew I was going to die but I really didn't think I was going to die. I mean it was never really going to happen. We were never really going to get there. And then somewhere around 45 I realized I'm really going to die. I mean I'm really getting older. I'm not the you know it's going to happen. It's going to happen for all of us. It really is we're all going to die. And so something is going to happen when your heart stops. So you better investigate you, you better do some homework on this and not just dismiss it as, you know, I'll take care of it later, I'm sure I'm okay, i mean, in God's love. I'm no, man, you better investigate on whether he is who he said he was. And I know why that is challenging. Because if God is who he said he was, there are implications on your life. If he's not, then you get to do what you want, when you want, how you want. But if he's God, the creator of the world rose from the dead, then what he says about my life has implications. Now, Paul came to a conclusion. Look at what he said. He said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through one man, who was that? Adam, right? Adam and Eve screwed it up for all of us, and then we screwed it up for ourselves, Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through one man. Who's that? It's Jesus, right? Death came through Adam. Life came through Christ. That's what he says here. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given what? A new life. So Paul uh, comes uh, with extraordinary confidence and says, I have no doubt that Christ rose from the dead. And because he did, we will one day. Death no longer has uh, the ability to conquer us. Now, Paul's not the only one who believed Jesus resurrected. Acts chapter 1 verse um, 3 says, During uh, the 40 days after he suffered and died, Jesus, that's who it's talking about, appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, I mentioned this last week. It's Important to know the New Testament mentions time, it mentions people, and it mentions places. That is important because some of the New Testament was written when those people were still alive. So it was very easy to read it and say, I don't know if that's true. Go to that person and ask them, is that true? But I want to give you one thing to think about. Like I said, I'm just going to take a telescopic view of this. And I want you to think about if Jesus did not rise from the dead, okay? They hid his body, something like that. First of all, I want to share with you how some of his main followers, some of the boys who were locked behind the closed door, how they died. Matthew died by the sword. Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded. Nathaniel was beaten with a whip. Andrew was crucified on a cross. Thomas was stabbed with a spear, Matthias, who replaced Judas, was beheaded, Paul was beheaded, and John was exiled to Patmos, where he eventually died imprisoned. These men died horrible deaths. Now, there's several others who died several uh, horrible ways, but just, that's just a list of a few. They died horrible deaths. Now, think about this for a moment. Why did they die horrible deaths? because they claimed that Jesus rose from the dead because they claimed that Jesus was God that's why they died they could have lived had they just recounted just rec- excuse me recanted and said no people do not die for what they know to be a lie In other words, if Jesus' body would have been hidden, they would have been the ones who hid it. They would have been the ones who did something with the body. Therefore, they would have known that he didn't really resurrect from the grave, that they were just spreading a lie and somehow to build up a, a religion. But people don't do that. Now, people die for lies, but they die for lies that they believe to be true. They would have known this was a lie. And when you look at their life, these men, before the resurrection, where were they? Right after the crucifixion. They were locked behind closed doors, according to the Gospel of John. I mean, they were, they were scared to death that they would be next. And then in the book of Acts, you have these same men standing before government officials who are saying, Listen, we'll let you go. Just stop talking about Jesus and stop talking about the resurrection. And how do they respond? They say... Do to us whatever you need to do, but we can't help but tell what we know to be true. Something happened. There was a change in these men. And I believe that it was the resurrection. And the fact that they were willing to die horrible deaths. And what was their motive? They weren't becoming wealthy. They weren't famous. They didn't have a million hits on their YouTube page. You know, they didn't have a ton of followers on Instagram. They just died horrible deaths for a lie. For something that they knew wasn't true. Could have saved themselves just by recanting and yet... None of them did. Why wouldn't they? It's because something happened. Something miraculous happened, and I believe that it was the resurrection. Well, let's see what you believe, all right? Let's look at our little poll here. All right. Got a nice, good religious crowd here today, (laughs) or because we're in church, you know what you think you should say, all right? 97%, that's pretty impressive believe that he has resurrected. Well, here's the next question. Let's listen. Hello, my name is Priscilla, and I attend our campus here in Peru. Pastor, I have friends who say they love Jesus, but say that they don't need to be part of the church or attend one. Is that possible? Um, does the Bible say anything about this? Thank you. All right. Again, if you haven't, How often should you go to church, I think, is the question on the app, all right? So uh, let me know what you think. Once, twice, three, four times. All right, do you have to be part of a church? This question got asked in a lot of different ways, and uh, you've probably had it asked of you. Oh, I love Christ. Why do we got to go down to that place? Let me share a few thoughts with you, all right? And, of course, I'm passionate about this one. Um, Here's the first thing I would tell you. Jesus established the church, okay? Matthew 16, 18, Jesus is speaking. He says, I say to you, Peter, and his name means rock, upon this rock, upon the proclamation that Peter made, I will build what? My church. I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. So who builds the church? Christ does, right? Yeah, Jesus does. So doesn't that immediately doesn't that immediately raise the priority of the church? I mean, it wasn't sometimes people say well it was, you know, I don't the church it's man-made organization and it's hypocritical and all these different things that people say which are just not true. The church is not a man-made idea. The church was the idea of Christ. The Greek word is ekklesia. It's the called out ones. It's not necessarily a facility, but it is a people. It is a gathering. And please understand this. When you read in the New Testament about the church, you are reading about the local gathering of believers. You are not reading about some mysterious universal church out there. That anytime somebody becomes a Christ follower, they are a part of the church. No, 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 no. When you read the New Testament, you are reading about a family like this, a local gathering of believers. Jesus founded this. It was his idea. He began it. So if he did, don't you believe it's important to him? Don't you believe that he has an opinion about the priority that it is in our lives? All right. So Jesus established the church because if you establish something, it's important to you, right? And then, not only that, Jesus died for the church. In Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-five, look what it says. Christ loved the church, and he what? have his life for her. So it says, God, Jesus loves the church and he died for the church. So doesn't that raise the priority? Doesn't just those two statements alone make it very difficult to say, I love Jesus, but not what he founded or established or what he died for. All right. And I don't love what he loved, which is the church. It's really a crazy statement, isn't it? But it's one that gets made all the time. I mean, all the time, we tend to somehow try to separate our relationship with Christ from our love for the church. Does the church save us? Of course not. But the church plays a role in our lives because it was established by God to do that. That's that's why it's important. And, you know, sometimes um, it's discouraging to see that there are things, sometimes we're like, oh, God, I need you to help me, God. And we're praying for things that God actually established the church to provide those things in our lives. But our priority to the church is so low that we never experience the very help that God wants to provide for you. Yes. All right. So, so he, he founded it. He died for it. And then in the New Testament, it, it, you see the priority of the church. The New Testament prioritizes the church. There are very few places that the the Bible actually speaks about church attendance. Do you know why? Because it was unfathomable to early believers that you would be a Christ follower and not be part of his church. It was just unfathomable to people. But in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 it says this, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. So one of the few places that the Bible speaks about the church, what does it tell us? to prioritize it, right? It says don't neglect coming. It says be there, be committed to, be a part of. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says we met on Sunday to worship and celebrate the Master's Supper, and then Paul got up and he addressed the congregation. One of the questions someone asked is, well, why do we meet on Sunday as opposed to the Sabbath? And the reason that we do is because after the resurrection, that's when the disciples met. They met on Sunday. And so we also meet on Sunday. Now, I think it's important for us to understand why Christ prioritizes the church in the way that he does when it doesn't save us, all right? When it doesn't save us. Before I do, just a little side note here. You know what? This week, I got a new car. Um, You want to see it? All right, I got a new car. Let me show it to you. All right. You like it? Now, this is the steering wheel. Uh, The engine's in Arkansas, all right? And the wheels are in Michigan, uh, the fenders are in Hawaii, um, uh, and the tailpipe is in Oklahoma. Awesome car, right? Uh, it's, well, it's really not a car then, is it? It's a steering wheel. Right? And what you can't really drive a steering wheel up to the drive-through, can you? Rum, 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 rum. Give me a Coke and a French fry. Right? You, you can't do that. Why? Because it's just a steering wheel, it's not a car. When does it become a car? When it comes together, right? When it comes together, then it is a car. It has horsepower. It has torque. It it, it can move and it can drive. Well, the same thing is true of the church. Is that when the church is separated, all right, it's not not the church. Christ created the church to be a gathering of Christ followers. And when we gather together, we have horsepower. We can impact this world. See, I, I... I uh, grew up in Arkansas, and in Arkansas, people would say sometimes, they'd say, you know, I, I feel closer to God when I'm up in a tree. Now, it's not that they like to climb trees, but they like to hunt deer, all right? We got out of school the first day of deer hunting season in Arkansas, and, and so they would all, you know, it's, they, oh, man, I'm, you know, it's deer season, and, I, I'm up. And, and here we might say the beach, but the reality is, is that it's not then the church, and when it's not, got the horsepower. It can't do what God originally created the church to do. So, so, so let me show you what those things are. Look with me in 1 Corinthians twelve seven. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Why? What's it say? Yeah, so we can help each other out. The church is here. When we gather together, we have all been given different gifts by God, the Bible teaches, all right? And I'm sure if you believe in the resurrection, then you have to believe scripture. And it says that we've all been given these spiritual gifts. And the reason we've been given them is so that we can help one another out. We can encourage one another. We can inspire one another. We can serve one another. We can challenge one another. We can hold one another accountable. In other words, we're here to help each other out. And if you're not here, then what does that mean? We're missing part of what God has provided to help one another out. And what do you call that? selfish right it's like if you've got the steering wheel to the car and you decide you're gonna take it to the beach with you and we're all sitting there we got the engine and we got the wheels and we got the drivetrain we've got the transmission but you got the steering wheel and we're powerless then to do what a car is originally created to do. Well, a church is the same way. We're here to help one another. We're here to encourage and inspire and challenge and build up and strengthen. Right? And don't you need that in today's world? Right? That's, that's what the church is here. It's here to help. And the church reaches. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, that's one of the things we're going to talk about next week. What is the Holy Spirit? Is it it? Is it a he? Is it, how does it work? How does uh, it, he, work in our lives? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my what? What is a witness? It's telling people about me where? Yeah, everywhere. Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the earth. Well, the church reaches. It reaches out to people with the good news. What is the good news? Jesus came, he put on skin, he died on the cross, and on the third day, he did what we just talked about. He resurrected from the grave. And, and so we go out and we reach people. I believe it's the only reason that me and you, as a Christ follower, are still here on planet Earth and don't get to go to heaven and hang out with God is because he wants us to reach people because without Christ, they don't just miss out on going to get ice cream. The Bible says they spend eternity separated from God and what Jesus said was Gehenna or hell, a place of torment and eternal destruction. So the church has this incredible role and this incredible responsibility to share the good news that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to go and to die a horrible death on the cross because on cross he took my screw-ups he took my sin so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that's the role and the responsibility of the church that's the reason we do multiple campuses we're going to do five services this weekend you know why because that's the responsibility of the church to reach people there's no financial advantage to that we could do three services. It'd be about the same amount of resources and less expenses and a lot less energy and volunteers and staff and all those kind of things. But we're, the church reaches, and so we'll do um, services and we'll do multiple locations. It's the reason we do the egg hunt. It's the reason we do trunk or treat. It's the reason we do multiple services. It's the reason we feed people. It's the reason we provide blankets for people. It's the reason we provide school supplies for people. It's the reason we educate people. It's the reason we cared for people in Northern Iraq and in Syria. It's why, we wanna reach them with the good news. That's what the church does. And when we come together, we have an incredible amount of horsepower to do that. And Jesus says, I love the world. And how am I going to reach the world? I'm going to reach the world by bringing these believers together in a family called the local church so that they can then go out into the world and make a difference. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. What a responsibility. What a legacy you and I have to be a part of the local church. The church also shepherds. It helps us to grow, to mature, to to, to become who God created us to be. In 1 Peter 5, two, he's talking to pastors. He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch it, Pastors, leaders, elders, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you can get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but do what? Lead them. Lead them by your example. And look in Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who did what? Taught you the word of God. So we come together, we come together and we glorify God, we worship, and we learn from His Word. There is power in God's word. And when you study God's word, especially in this um, context of family, of one another, are we to study God's word by ourselves? Of course, we're to meditate on God's word. But there's something that supernatural happens that when you and I gather together to study his word, the Bible says that it does not return void. The Bible says that it will not return vain. The Bible says that it it, it takes out of our lives what doesn't need to be there. It's a mirror that shows us in our lives what needs to be transformed and needs to be changed. It shows us the principles in order to become who God has created us to be. I mean, there is incredible power in his word. And when we come together, something supernatural happens as we begin to apply it to our lives. That's the role of the church. And that's why why, how in the world could you say that you were a Christ follower and not prioritize? I'm not just talking about occasionally attend, but prioritize the local church. Let, let me ask all of us a question. When does going to church become less about you and more about others? When does it become less about what I receive or what I enjoy and more about how, when we come together, what we're able to do for his glory and in his name? Because that is the real church. That is what we are really gathered here together. Do you know that the early church was just as imperfect it was, it, it, people, oh, I don't like church, it's just a hypocrite. Early church, it had hypocrites, you know why? It had people, right? We're, we bring our peopleness with us to church. People honk out there in the parking lot of the church. <laughs> and People get their feelings hurt, people get mad. We are people. The early church was the same way. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, they had all kinds of problems, but can I tell you something about the early church? Is that the early church could not be denied. They couldn't be ignored. They may not have been liked, but they couldn't have been ignored. You know why? It's because they had all parts of the car. And because they had all parts of the car, they had horsepower. Mm-hmm. You know? So many times today we're missing parts, and so we're riding along on three wheels, or we're trying to steer without the wheel, or or we're missing the engine. And we don't have the transmission because we're not committed to prioritize his house. The other question that kind of goes along with it that people asked, well, oh, let's, look at the, let's look at the poll. Let's see how often did you guys think. Every weekend, 90%, three times a week, 6%, twice a month, 2%, once a month. I, you know what I should have made that question? It's not how often do you think, how often do you come? <laughs> I mean, I know all of you would be here every week, all right? Let me, let me answer this other question really quick. Because this, this, this next question is kind of informative for you. Several people asked the question, you know, where do you start um, and we don't have time to show you the video on this one but they asked the question where do you how do you start campuses or where does potential church decide to start campuses how about orlando okay the person on the video said well why don't we do it in orlando Um, our mission is in your outline at potential church to partner with people to reach their god potential in order to impact the world for good you will see these numbers 50 100 and 150. 50 campuses is our dream 100,000 100, people attending and $150 million to change the world. Now, here's the way we go about that. We start churches and we launch campuses, okay? We do both of those things. They're different. Campuses are on the other side of that camera. We have one teacher, whoever that teacher is for the weekend. Um, different worship, different student ministry, live. All those things are live going on. But one vision that we're running after. Churches have their, um, you know, are, are separate, all right? They're autonomous in that sense. We do both because God nudges people to do both. We and have started tens of churches in the last 30 years that potential church has been around. But let me share with you three of them. One of them is the oldest. We started many years ago. We launched a church in New York City. Uh, It's been, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. It's called the Journey Church. And we gave them $100,000 a year for three years. So a total of uh, $300,000, I believe, if I remember correctly, okay? And today, or they now have, several campuses in Manhattan, they now have a campus uh, in, um, I would call it northern Florida, but it's north of us, and they have several thousand people who are attending, and the reason they have that presence in Manhattan and in middle Florida is because you guys helped start that. I mean, that, that's incredible, because why? Why is that incredible? Because when I say church, I'm talking about all the things we just said. I'm not talking about people just getting together on Sunday so that they can hear a nice little message and then leave. I'm talking about the fact that people are being helped, people are being inspired, people are being challenged, people are being encouraged that they are going out into the world and they are sharing the good news in Manhattan and in uh, Long Island about who Christ is and what Christ can do and the impact that he can have and communities and families and generations are being changed. That's what it means to start a church. That's why this is important and that that's what ultimately you and I need to be about not about what is the preacher going to teach today for me it's got to get bigger than that let me tell you when we started four years ago in uh, Matt Miller who used to be our student pastor here God kind of nudged his heart tapped him on the shoulder and he wanted to, uh, to start a, a church in Kansas City so four years ago he did and uh, At the end of three years, we had given him $120,000. I talked to him. Last weekend, they had 1,400 people at two different campuses in four years. That's awesome. Scott Mendenhall was our student pastor. God nudged his heart to go and do something very difficult, go where he knew no one, up in Minnesota, and to launch a church. He did. They started a year ago. They had 37 people at their first service, all right? And uh, over th- at, at, when three years are up, over the next three years, we'll give him around $100,000. Last weekend was a year. They had 97 people. So they had grown, you know, three times uh, in, in a year. That's incredible what God's done through you. To make that happen. We've launched campuses in Lima, the Bahamas, Pensacola, Hollandale, Cooper City, working uh, of course towards weekly services in New York, and then we have the internet campus. Now when we think about our vision for the future, it is to reach these people in these influential cities so that we can ultimately impact the world, so that we can ultimately Um, reach the world. Man, I got to tell you, I believe in the house. I believe in the local church. That's why our television ministry, our social media ministry, all of those things are not ministries under themselves. They all push people to the local church. I believe that God changes our lives and then he empowers us so that through the local church, we can make a difference. Um, I believe this, that the most important thing that you're a part of is the local church. That all the gifts that you have and all the talents that you have and that business that God's given you, the skills and the uh, abilities to be a part of and to build up, he has given to you so that you can then leverage that for the local church to impact the world for Christ because this was his plan. This is his plan. It's the local church. And so we start campuses and We start churches. Now, when you think about expansion, we get to the weekly service in New York City. That allows us to get to Washington and Boston. Here at Cooper City, we can move northward towards Orlando. Our Hollandale campus will hopefully move then towards Miami and campuses there. Pensacola towards New Orleans and Atlanta. The Bahamas towards Puerto Rico and Jamaica. Lima towards Sao Paulo or Brasilia, Brazil, and Argentina so that we can truly Give our lives to something. Not just end our lives and say, I went to church. Do you think God's going to be impressed that you went? Do you think that's all he can hope for in my life and in your life, is that you went, is that I went, is that I was a part? No, it's what did we do with the car? What did we do with the car? Where did we take it? What kind of impact did we have? Now, so where's the next one going to be? Well, it all comes down to resources, people, people. It takes people to serve, and it takes people to lead, and money, right? It always takes money. It always takes resources. And why does it take money? Well, because the Bible says that where our money is is where our heart is. And God asks for our money because ultimately he wants, he wants my heart. Now, the economy in South Florida the last several years has not been uh, awesome, although you can't tell by the automobiles driven at the beach, but... Um, I think they're, maybe they're all rentals, okay? But, but the, that's made it difficult. Now, here's what we do at Cooper City. I mean, excuse me. Here's what we do at Potential Church in order to see those campuses begun, 50, 100, 150. We have a small staff. If you look at the size of Potential Church and you look at the number of staff people, you will discover that for a church our size, the staff is considerably small. They are incredible people. They sacrifice. They work hard. And they're very gifted. But there are few of them, all right? Yeah, give them a hand. The other thing that you will discover at Potential Church is that our technology is old. Now, you may not realize that, but that's only because the staff is very good at covering it up. But whether it is our lighting or whether it's our video, I mean, it's old. And um, we have a, a gentleman who's a part of our church who allowed us to borrow some of the lights and things, those panels that you saw, Uh, up here on the stage last weekend. Uh, He loaned to us those one-foot panels are $1,000 a piece. They're they're expensive. Um, And we remodel slow. This building is almost two decades old, and uh, it's had some remodeling, but very little. Um, We try to update these areas when they get in the way of reaching people, okay? But the reason we do that is because we want to leverage resources to do the work of the ministry, okay, so that the the ministry is happening in every location and in every campus. Because we are serious about believing that when you and I come together, the most important thing is the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, going out into the world, making a difference. And so we want to leverage our resources so that we can do the the work and ministry of the church. Now... Even with doing all those things I just said, small staff, old technology, remodeling slowly, South Florida is still a difficult place to carry out this vision. And one of the reasons is, is because Potential Church eternal, intentionally creates an environment of patience. And what I mean by that is that we reach people uh, intentionally, we reach out to people that are a long way, are, are not very far in their spiritual journey. They may not even believe there's a God. And our goal is, is to reach those folks so that they can come to a place that they not only trust Christ, but that they're living for Him. That they make that decision. They grow in Christ. That takes time. And that means there's less money, and it comes in much slower, because the average journey for someone is they're interested. TV, they watch online, they show up because you invite them, and something catches their mind. They don't know if they believe it or don't believe it. They come occasionally. Eventually, they make a decision, and they come more consistently. They're not committed to it, but they come more consistently. And then um, that decision, somewhere along the line, if they stay committed to it, they begin to take on the responsibility to help others. And then, somewhere down the line, it might take a year, it might take five years, they start to give, occasionally, and eventually, they begin to tithe. And that can take years, which makes it very, very difficult. This is my prayer. I, I, I tell you, I, I've been here now for a really long time. And the hardest step for people to take is to care about others. I hear all the time about how this place has changed my life or how this place has changed my family. Can I tell you, as a Christ follower, you have truly matured when you're here because of the capacity of this place to change someone else's life. Not because it meets your needs, not because you like the music, not because it's changed your marriage, but you are here because we are a car that can go out into the world and change the world. And so when it comes to where are we gonna launch the next campus, it really depends on the growth of each one of the campuses and congregations that we now have. Last question, if God is good, why do bad things happen? It's a common question, right? People ask it all the time. I'm not gonna give you some big deep answer because I know some of us here are really hurting? And this is a question that is deeply on our mind. I just wanna give you a few thoughts. Here's the first one. The world is broken. This is not the world that God created. It's clear from scripture. In Genesis 1.31 it says, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was what? Very good. This world is not very good. Children die, people get cancer, accidents happen, It's not very good. It's not the world that God created. Why is it not the world that God created? We read it a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 15, 21. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam and Eve screwed up. And because Adam and Eve screwed up, you and I screwed up. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it messed up the world that God had created. It's kind of like my rose here, right? My rose is beautiful, but a rose has thorns. Just because there are thorns on the rose, God didn't remove the rose. And so you have a rose and you have thorns. And in our world, you have beauty, you have love, but you also have suffering and you have pain. all right? Oh, you remember you like a, a rose there? Now, the only way for God to keep pain out of the world is for him to take away your freedom, to take away my freedom. see, to control us so that because see, pain, your pain and my pain is not necessarily the result of your sin. It's the result of sin. It's screwed up the world. It's kind of like with your kids, right? How could you keep your kids from ever being hurt? Lock them in their room, right? If you locked them in their room. Now, but you don't. You let them out of their room. And because you let them out of their, out of their room, they get hurt. Is Does that mean you don't love them? No. Does that mean you didn't have the power to protect them? No. You could have protected them. And you do love them, but you gave them freedom. Now, does it mean that they got hurt because of their own decisions? Not always, sometimes, not always. It may have been the guy that poured the concrete three decades ago unevenly, and it made them trip, and they skinned their knee. It wasn't their problem. It was the per- it's the fact that we live in a fallen world. Well, the same thing is true about disease the same thing is true about accidents. This is not the world that God created. Now, God chooses to step in sometimes. And he heals people with cancer. But some people don't get healed. I don't know why that happens. I, 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 don't. I, I, I don't. As I look through Scripture, I, I don't know. You know, I... In 2006, I was rushed to the hospital and um, I had some stents put in my heart and the doctor told me I wouldn't have had a heart attack. I would have had, my heart would have exploded because I went to the doctor myself, you know, I wasn't having issues. And they discovered that. I don't know why they found that in me and another young man with kids. They don't find it until he dies on the side of a road on a bicycle or something. I don't have the answer to that, and I don't know. But I do want to share with you what I do know about our suffering and our pain. The first thing I know is that Jesus will never waste your pain. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. What does that mean? That means that while God doesn't cause the suffering in our world, He won't waste it that our suffering won't be in vain, that God will somehow take this horrible circumstance that you find yourself in and he will use it for good. I love what it says in Psalm 56 talking to God. God, you keep track of my pain, my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle and you have recorded each one in your book. Isn't that awesome? is that every tear that you've cried, God hasn't been distant or unconcerned. He's been right there. And he's collected every tear, every hurt, every pain. He's been aware of that. And he is there to comfort. I love what Babbie Mason's song says. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. The last thing that I wanted to share with you is that I know the world will be renewed. That God will restore what he once created. Look what it says in Romans chapter 8. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all of creation is waiting eagerly for that day. With eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all of creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit, which is kind of a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released sin and suffering and we are given this hope when you're saved isn't that awesome isn't that awesome there is this promise that God is going to restore and that this world is so broken that all of creation earth itself kind of groans out to God looking forward to that day when he will restore what he originally created and it is our salvation that we have that hope what's that going to look like Troy I don't know exactly I know John gives us this glimpse in Revelation 21. He says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. Would you bow your head? Father, I am so thankful for the power of your resurrection. i thank you for the gathering of your church. And I pray for those of us who find ourselves in a time of suffering as we look forward to the day of redemption, the day of renewal, when all of our pain and all of our tears and all of our hurt and all of our sorrow is gone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.